There's so many things going on with that, right? Like one, she's choosing to go back into an industry that's re-traumatizing. So Freud would call that the replication of the trauma. And now with the, the hope that somebody tries something and she's ready with a loaded gun, this time she'll kill them. But the problem is she would be the one going to prison because she's not actually working through her trauma in therapy. She was trying to do it in a symbolic, unconscious way. She was trying to heal relationship wounds through relationship trauma and replication of trauma. And many of our clients are doing that. Whether it's substances or abusive relationships, where no matter how many times you talk them off the ledge or you help them get out of an abusive relationship, that they just keep going back and you're like, what is happening? Why do you keep doing this? Many times it's because they want the unavailable love object. That's a Freudian term or object relations term to just understand that we're wanting the person who doesn't want me to want me. And if we don't understand that, then we put boundaries, we put contracts, we put safeguards in place that an unconscious part of self that's desperate and longing for the unavailable person to finally want me. If we don't know that that's what's happening, then eventually that part of self will rebel and will re-engage in that relationship. And now social workers and therapists and police are burnt out because they were like, how many times are you going to go back to this person? Oh my God, it's so toxic. But they will. They will because if we don't have a sophisticated understanding of parts of the inner world, of what is our spirit man, our soul, and our body, if we don't understand the conflict that can happen between parts of self, then we're just chasing the symptom. We're trying to help them create a contract of safety. We're trying to help them set boundaries and change their mindsets and give them practical activations and uh, you know take home things that they can do as homework. That's the equivalent of doing software upgrades on your computer, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Please keep doing that. But it doesn't upgrade the hard drive, the how of how we relate with ourselves and with others. So many of our clients are tired and weary because they're trying to upgrade their software and we're trying to help them upgrade their software without realizing there are actual structures parts of self dedicated to keeping the familiar in place. And so think of relationship wounds as far more damaging than just a punch in the face. You know, it's easy to look at a bruise and say damage, abuse, that was bad. But an emotionally unavailable parent is also abuse. Somebody who's hot and cold, emotionally unavailable, enmeshing and idealizing, and then perfectionistic withdrawal if you're not perfect. There's so many other dynamics as well. There's so many kids that grow up trying to be perfect enough for their anxious parent, trying to be perfect and pleasing enough, trying to live up to all the expectations where the parent is trying to give them everything the parent didn't get in their childhood. These are dynamics that then I have to hide all my badness, all my inferiority and imperfection. And that's exhausting. Our clients are exhausted and their symptoms are communication. We don't want to just reduce the symptom without understanding what's the communication. 
Now, let me pause. I'm not saying that we don't work on reducing symptoms by any means, but I want to create space. I want to hear from these parts of self. I call it an internal board meeting because I happen to work with a lot of executives. So it's kind of the language, but you can call it whatever you want. Just this internal experience of creating space for every part of self to be heard and to be known. And we can ask the inner world, what's making you feel anxious today? What conflict is going on between parts of me that I haven't been able to bring conscious? That something inside has felt so threatening and overwhelming that I haven't known how to put language to that. What does my soul need in order to feel rest and safe? A panic part of me, panic attack part of me, I love you. What secret are you trying to keep? What emotion is trying to bubble up that you're desperately trying to whack down? I love you. I see you. I honor you. And then adding free right that you can start processing and writing. I call it take off the editor brain, that prefrontal that wants to censor and just let your inner world talk and be heard. Let those voices of different parts of self. Again, I'm not talking about DID or multiple personality in this talk. I'm talking about the nuances of how God made all the different parts of us to collaborate and join together cohesively. And when we do, when we ride it all out, the soul is able to finally communicate, able to rest and gain peace. When that's acknowledged, now new insight coupled with a corrective experience. So the basic premise of psychodynamic theory is we help the client realize. I don't tell them as this clever uh, outsider, hey, you're dealing with mother issues or hey, I think this is a relationship wound with your sibling. But we help them start to give voice and gain insight for themselves in their inner world. And then the corrective experience, that's where a lot of people don't know how to flesh it out. So a lot of people have done coaching, online programs, counseling, they've gained new insight, they've done the self-help books, but then you'll notice the best-selling books are self-help books. They'll be again the next year and the next year because new insight by itself does not actually upgrade the hard drive. New insight is cognitive, it's the software. Hard drive is the experience of now knowing, experientially knowing myself in a different way and knowing my relationships in a different way. So as you're listening, maybe you can think for yourself, what's something that you're like, wow, that was a game changer. Knowing and having language for this fact that I went through and that that wasn't okay and it wasn't my fault. And like, that's, it's so helpful to know that. Write that down. And then let's talk about what does my soul need to gain a corrective experience, to feel what that's like, to be angry in relationship and feel completely loved, to be disappointed, to be sad, to be vulnerable and not be taken advantage of, to use my voice and not be silenced or scolded or shamed. What would it be like to actually have a relationship that's elastic instead of all or nothing, enmeshment or sever? What would that be like? And now we can start praying into the strategy. Now, if you're in therapy or you're the therapist, you get to psychodynamically be that corrective vehicle. So much more is caught than taught. We know that implicit messages where it's going below cognitive awareness, 
It's so much more profoundly influential than just what we say. As counselors, as pastoral counselors, mental health providers, many of us use a lot of our words and our language, which helps software, but does nothing to help the hard drive. That's how if you've ever had a session and you tell the client and they have new insight and they're all stoked and they leave empowered and they come back and in the next three months, they're like, it made no difference. I feel the exact same. That's because the hard drive wasn't upgraded yet. So they have a, a distinct incompatibility. That's that experience many clients have when they're like, I actually feel worse after starting therapy, right? After the honeymoon of the first eight sessions where I'm like, oh, you walk on water, you understand me, you're the best mental health provider ever. And then after the honeymoon, all of a sudden you start doing the real stuff and you're upgrading software. And if it's not at the same cadence, as the hard drive, then they live with this really distinct separation between insight of what I know to be true from what I experience and know how to flesh out in my daily life. And that discrepancy creates incongruence in the inner world and in their life experience. And that dissonance is uncomfortable. So human nature is then we revert back to what's familiar, what's safe. And then we give up on trying to change it because this is my reality and this is what feels true and it lowers my cognitive dissonance. So our work as mental health providers is to help people unpack not just the big macro trauma, capital T, but also the subtle where that person might've felt like they were the lost middle child or they felt like they were the striving oldest or they felt like the forgotten baby or the good one that had to be so idealized to keep everybody happy. And they felt the pressure that if I ever fail and fall off this pedestal, you're not going to love me anymore. Whatever the dynamics might be. And many of our clients have had some kind of sexual exposure at a premature age. And that is part of a relationship wound. We help people understand now, where is that living inside of you? For me, again, my trauma was repressed because I owned the shame because they didn't rape me. I was complicit in the sexual act because I was being groomed into thinking this is what I wanted because I was getting attention for something. And so I turned against me and I said, this me that wanted that, you're a bad version of me. I don't like you. And so I was self-harming. I was overeating and bulimic, and then I was restricting calories. I had this very unhealthy all or nothing because you could see on the outside the way I was playing out symbolically what the internal system, my world, the parts of self were doing against each other internally. Those conflicts were lived on the outside and I would go to people for mental health and they were trying to fix the cutting. They were trying to fix the eating disorder. They were trying to fix the learning disabilities. They were trying to fix the anxiety. They were trying to fix the depression. Nobody asked about my own internal felt reality of how I was turning against myself, of how I would rock myself to sleep, just saying, I hate myself. I hate myself. So many people have many symptoms and we chase those instead of realizing much of it usually goes down to a core belief and an internal conflict that's around that belief of how the inner world relationally is turning against one another. 
how we interject our mom, our dad, grandparents, siblings, someone else. And now we're still doing inside to ourselves currently what was done back then. That original relationship wound still happening right now inside. And so what we want is with a more sophisticated understanding based on psychodynamic theory, and there's tons of research on it. And then you can integrate EMDR, internal family systems, heart sync, different approaches like Sozo, these methodologies that are so brilliant and beautiful. And what I've tried to do with restoring self-cohesion is the complement of how do we understand all of these through one cohesive frame of the inner world. Once we have the new insight, now we can go inside and we can help restore relationship wounds with healthy relationship medicine. With doing that, one, you as the mental health provider, you provide a corrective experience. You seeing them and creating space. Many of my clients, and you don't have to do this, but they're taught you're allowed to express at me what you were not allowed to express as a child. And so they'll say, you know, I hate this about blah, blah, this event happened, yours, blah, blah. And I'll say, now, will you say that to me as if I am the person? A principle in psychodynamic theory is we really need to have catharsis. That by talking about somebody, you will leave more powerless, more frustrated, more annoyed, like why bother? It doesn't make a difference. You'll actually feel worse at the end of that session. And how many of you can relate that you've had clients that have told the story, like it's memorized, it's regurgitated. I had one girl that was like, I have three psychologists. What are you going to do? And she rattled off all of her trauma as if it was a, a badge. And I said, you know, first of all, I'm hearing you tell your story as if it's third person and it's totally disconnected from the vulnerability, the pain and the insecurity of what that must have been like to live in those moments. I'm hearing someone who's very intellectualized, which is a common defense mechanism when we have trauma, that we talk about it, but we're so distant from being present in it. And the corrective experience part of psychodynamic theory is that we don't talk about it from a cerebral head cognition level, but now we step inside our own humanity. We enter into the relational landscape of how that's still living inside. That I found with working with this individual, her mom was very intellectual, very standoffish and analyzed everything. And so in essence, this girl would go to therapy with all the best trauma therapists and nobody could quote unquote crack her because her inner world was separated. There was a strong wall of intellectualization where she knew moment by moment of her massive traumas, but she was so disconnected relationally from herself. I don't even think it was disassociated. It was intellectualized. Many of our clients are also disassociated as well. And so these are ways that the inner world relationally learned how to separate, how to avoid with the pain endings on the hand to pull out of relationship, to avoid internal relationship with my own trauma. And that's one of the biggest reasons our clients don't get better because they can tell you the trauma, they can talk about it, but now what? 
Now I don't know how to steward the pain, the, the inside things that are going on because I'm still doing it to me right now. If we don't have a context for that, then you think just trauma reduction, cognitive behavioral trauma informed, right? Those are brilliant and good and I am for them. But there's a deeper level of how the relationship inside continues to reinforce shame, disconnect, fracturing, splitting, intellectualizing, denial, suppression, all of these inner relationship dynamics that are still keeping dysfunction in place. And by not addressing that, it all goes underground. And within, you know, six months to two years, most of the time it'll resurface in one way or another. And it doesn't always, you know, have a name tag. This is trauma related. My addiction issue, my, um, you know, watching porn or cheating on a spouse or beating a child. Like that's related to my own trauma because I'm living in this constant state of discontent and frustration and pain and rejection. We haven't made that connection for ourselves, and so we don't know how to make it for others. But when you have a deeper revelation of the parts of self, and you know how to go inside and help them join, and if they're a Christian, then you can invite Jesus into that journey with you. If they're not, then you can bring someone else in their imagination that feels like a secure attachment figure because relationship wounds require relationship medicine. Just going back to trauma and talking about trauma is actually replication of the trauma. But if you can have them talk about the trauma and now there's a hug, now there's validation, now there's righteous anger, that should not have happened to you. I am so sorry, your pain is valid. Now there's freedom, there's breakthrough, there's a sense of closure that you hold their anger. And so many times I'll have them express their anger at me. And they're like, no, Dr. Crawford, you're so nice. I don't want to hurt you. And I'm like, trust me, God protects my heart. You can put it on me. And if you can't handle that, that's okay. But that's something we do at Crawford Clinics, that we hold space, that we are metaphorically being crucified for something that we didn't do. So the client can experience that breakthrough of getting to release that in relationship. And then for me to be able to own and take responsibility for something I didn't do. Much like Christ dying on the cross as us, dying for our sins in our place, we get to now say on behalf of your mom, your dad, behalf of your pastor, on behalf of your abuser, that neglectful teacher that did not see you or honor you, I repent. I acknowledge the injustice. It is wrong and I repent. I stand in the gap as a witness of the wrongfulness, of the injustice, the racial experience, the gender experience, the denominational experience, whatever you went through, it's valid, it's wrong, and I am here as a witness. You don't have to be alone and carry that inside anymore. Many times, like I said before, we're taught to just foreclose, to just jump to forgiveness instead of teaching people to honor their own story, honor the pain and the injustice of what they've gone through. And so I can now stand in the gap and say, hey, part of self that's grieving, holding anger of injustice, 
You don't have to be a shiny, nice, happy Christian. You can be angry and I'm angry holding that anger for you. It's righteous anger. It's a stage of grief. It's healthy. It's appropriate for you to use your voice toward me or in a letter or whatever the person needs to do to process that. Many times it's not necessarily safe to bring it to that person. So we encourage them to bring it as a therapeutic letter. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. And so we do it in session, but what we do is we try to make it as real as possible that they really see me as that person. And then I get to hold and contain and be yelled at and whatever else they need to cuss at me, you know, and then me be able to say, it's valid. You're valid. I see you. I see the injustice and it matters. And then if you want to integrate EMDR here, if you want to integrate internal family systems, if you want to integrate heart sync, these are brilliant, beautiful opportunities to kind of marry together a holistic blending of how to bring alignment, how to bring honor and dignity back to the soul, back to the original wound where there was a lie believed based on a trauma and an inner world that then created infrastructure to defend and protect against that ever happening again. So our greatest need is to do that, replacing the lie with truth, inviting those parts of self to learn to be friends and reconcile inside, to be able to have our wrongfulness and injustice and trauma of relationship be acknowledged in a relationship and be acknowledged in relationship with self. For me, the Lord taught me to say, Shannon, I love you. You're a good girl. I'm not mad at you. I'm sorry for abusing you all those years. You're good. You're safe. It's safe to come out of hiding. I didn't know what I was doing at the time because that was just the Lord was teaching me along the way. I developed more in theory once I learned more of the models out there. But at the beginning, it was literally just the Lord teaching me how to reparent, how to be kind, how to develop a new relational template in relating with myself. With radical love, unconditional acceptance. I used to say, you know, oh my gosh, I have this flaw. And God's like, it's just like chocolate on the outside of a face of a child. Like you just wipe it off. It's not inherent. It's not permanent to who you are. So he taught me instead of rejecting my flaws, which I have plenty, Instead, learning to say, I love you with your flaws. I am flawed and loved. I am good with my flaws. He taught me to start taking those, those versions of me and others out of the gel cell of my judgment. He taught me how to repair relationship within myself. And that's where some of the uh, faith-based inner healing models really focus on preparing relationship with Jesus, which is great in the Godhead, but not always repairing relationship with the self. So that relationship wound really needs relationship medicine that I learn how to work with the symphony, the harmony of my internal orchestra and not against in this discordant, ugly, mean way of relating. And so you're teaching your clients to ground into their body, to ground into relationship with themselves, especially the parts of self they've denied. I had a grandparent that was very narcissistic. 
And so one of my parents really picked up some of the fear and rea- uh, retaliation of, I will not, I will not let anyone treat me that way. And so my parent then treated me as a little child, as if I were a narcissist. And so I grew up then, I would deny any part of me that might be considered narcissist. And I became the perfect people-pleasing chameleon. Can any of you relate with trying to be so good, so perfect, so pleasing, so everyone likes you? And my inner world was so divided against myself. I had turned against. And the Lord started to teach me to say, I love the me that is narcissistic. I know that sounds very weird, but it really brought breakthrough. I love the me that is an imposter. I love the me that is selfish. I love the me that doesn't have it all together and is not perfect. By doing that, not saying permanently that in reality I am narcissistic, which I don't believe that I am, but I learned how to not have the phobia. I didn't have the fear of that relationship toxicity that was targeted at me. I no longer had to fear that being this, oh my gosh, what if that narcissistic part of me escapes one day and I ruin all my relationships and everyone rejects me and I'm all alone and I'm abandoned. That fear was so deeply held and unconscious that it had driven much of my life. And yours may be completely different, but there's maybe something that you grew up with or your client grew up with that makes us want to reject and recoil and pull away from relationship instead of leaning into relationship with ourselves. And the more that we can embrace the things that we used to be afraid of, the more it brings it conscious And it actually disempowers and takes away that leaning, that propensity, that unconscious way that we may have some characteristics and quirks like that. So again, by doing the internal board meeting, going slow and saying, thank you symptoms, you're giving me intel. And now I want to restore relationship. I want to restore cohesion among the parts of me. So that starts by asking simple questions. Anxiety, what are you trying to hide and protect me from? Panic, what are you afraid is going to come up? What part of me are you afraid of? What memory are you afraid is going to come conscious? Depression, what are you trying to suppress and bury and deny by going into a flat, deadened affect instead of maybe anger or something that's trying to lash out and you've learned to deaden as a defense to protect your relationships? You know, sexual acting out part of self. What are you trying to get through that behavior, whether porn or something else? Is there an attachment need? Is there something that your soul is craving? So the internal board meeting is now starting with a posture of curiosity, with a teachability and humility to come with questions that are gentle and kind. Not trying to just do behavior modification and fix it and get over it and what's wrong with me, but to peel the layers off, to be curious, to give voice to those parts of us that have been silenced even by ourselves. Once given voice, now we can be curious about what was the original situation that made you feel that way. An easy technique to use is called the psychodynamic triangle. At the top of the triangle, you write, what's the current situation or symptom? So we can go through that together. Let's say your client is dealing with intrusive memories or trauma symptoms. And so you write that at the top. And then you write on the right side, what are the thoughts, feelings, impulses? What's the immediate that comes up? 
And so on the right side, let's say you're writing panic, insecure, afraid, out of control. And then on the left side, you take the top away and now you're on the right side going, huh, when were the other times throughout my entire life, younger the better, that I've ever felt like that? And whatever you wrote on the right side, you now say on the left, well, I felt like that when I was in elementary school with that teacher. I felt like that on the playground. I felt like that with my siblings. I felt like that when mommy talked to me this way or when dad wasn't there or whatever it might have been, right? And then on the inside, below the triangle, you're stepping down saying, okay, how did I learn to protect myself? What did I do to try to make sure that never happened again? So a part of me then holds the shame, which usually is a part of your spirit man. And then another part steps in front and says, well, then I will vow to never let that happen again. You're weak, spirit, true self. You can't protect me from that. So I need to protect me from that. And when the soul steps in front, now there's a protector, a denial, a suppression that that part of me is even there. And we're literally in a form of self-rejection because I've denied the badness or the weakness of me and the badness and weakness of others, which means I have to disavow any part of me that's similar to them. And so there's this inner conflict. What we want to do is start figuring out, protector, if my soul, how have you tried to protect me from that? Did you create a false self? Did you create a bunch of inner programs that if someone tries to get close, I'll avoid, I'll sabotage, I'll disqualify them or myself so I never have to get wounded, rejected, controlled, etc. ever again? And so then I say, and now what did the judgments I formed against the part of me that I saw as bad or weak from that? Now we start working on that relational dyad within the self, the parts that have turned against each other. And we start to peel layers off. This is a little bit new, more nuanced in the guided imagery piece, but just kind of peeling layers off, removing walls, barriers, judgments that have been formed between these parts of self. So as we're healing relationship wounds with relationship medicine, we have to recognize that we have free will. And where we have free will, we have literal walls and disconnects, divides between these parts of self. So what we want to do is start peeling layers off, taking these things off so the inner world can come online, the parts of self can reconcile. And this is hard because sometimes with extreme trauma, extreme shame, it's really hard to get two very polarized parts of self to ever be on the same page. So the first goal is to help them recognize they're both trying to protect the self. Maybe this one is doing it in acting out behavior and self-harming, and maybe this part is doing it by numbing out and, you know, disassociating. They're doing it in different ways. Maybe one's doing it in people-pleasing and performing, and the other one has rage and temper when I feel unsafe. So they may not seem like they have the same agenda. But what you do to bring common ground is you help both recognize actually your goal is trying to protect the self. And if I recognize that, now I can see common language and the goodness of how these are just misguided parts of self. That they're not bad. They're just trying the best from the age I was at the time that event, that's the best I knew how to do that. 
some things are spiritual. So there's an element of that that can be worked on in a, another talk. But for today, we'll just stick with the psychological components of how turning against the self creates division, inner conflict that perpetually cause the person to feel different, other, not belonging, the outsider looking in because there is a part of self that's perpetually othered outside looking in, not belonging to the rest of the self. We want to restore cohesion. We want to bring relationship back. We want to repair relationship and equity among the parts of self. By doing that and restoring friendship, now we can bring these parts of self back into our internal committee. And so our spirit, again, is the true self. And your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. The parts of you that are designed based on this natural world. They take in what's true around us, while our spirit man takes in what's truth that we live according to the vision of who we know we are and where we're going. And the soul is at odds trying to stay safe, be a manager, do what I know to do to keep homeostasis or balance while your spirit is trying to emerge with bravery and courage into your life assignment. So your client, when you're working with them, you may see these kind of disjointed moments. Wherever they're not showing up in strength, you might assume they're leading from their soul in that area instead of their true self or their spirit. So again, back to that inner conflict, we ask them, are you a part of my soul or my spirit? It's not super important if they don't know how to hear their inner world, that's okay. It is helpful to know that many times the part of self that's holding the most amount of shame is often their spirit man, because the enemy's strategy is to get us out of our spirit, to live from our human understanding, to live from our emotions, to live from our willpower and self-sufficiency instead of learning how to plug in your spirit into the Holy Spirit to live with power and authority, with grace, with anointing for your assignment. So our goal, again, yes, we want to help clients with symptom reduction, but how much more, if you understand the relational dynamics of their inner world, you can now re-empower them. You can help their battery pack get plugged back into the Holy Spirit, where shame once used to have a stronghold in their life, we can break that. And now we can say, soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. You can stand down. And an activation I found really helpful in this relational healing is to picture two bodyguards in front of my heart. Many of us have shame and pride. We don't see ourselves as prideful, of course, but shame and pride, I said that funny, shame and pride tend to be together. And so we invite them to stand down. We invite shame and pride to stand down. We invite uh, fear and control to stand down. We invite sexuality and rigid frigidity to stand down. And so when we can kind of peel these layers off and I'll have my clients picture a belly button zipper and we unzip over the belly button, over the heart, over the mind, down the back, and we're peeling these layers off of us. Now you're drawing your spirit man forward. You're asking Jesus, can you redeem this part of my spirit back to her original design or back to his original design, whoever you're working with, and invite that part of your spirit to lead. And then your spirit gets to submit under the Holy Spirit. And now your spirit can learn how to minister relationally to your soul and to your body. 
you get to internally say, hey, soul, what's going on? What are you feeling? What's making you feel scared or anxious today? In Psalms, you can see it when David said, soul, you will bless the Lord. Now, I used to see that as willpower, like soul, you will bless the Lord. But over time, getting to know the Lord more, I realized, oh, it sounds a lot more like, hey, soul, you will bless the Lord. Come here. What's going on? What's what's making it hard to bless the Lord? What's making you feel scared, anxious, out of control, afraid, not enough? I love you. I see you. There's plenty of space for you at the table. You can have problems. You can be mad at me. You can be mad at God. You can be mad at your spouse or your parent or whoever. You can be afraid of your own badness, let's say. And so once that's in the light, now you can peel those layers off. Now we could reject those lies, disempower the stronghold. And now we can convert that part of the soul back into a state of trust into security and your spirit man learns how to lead and your spirit then ministers to your soul to help your soul feel loved valued reassured you reparent your soul back into maturity to not just be a child but to be a mature co-ruling and reigning with christ member of your internal committee We want the executive part of your inner world to be your spirit man, all the facets of who you are. And then your soul, like the manager on the inside, helping run the day-to-day of being a human on this planet in this moment right now. And then all of the body interfacing with the spirit and the soul, getting coherent, linear, streamlined signals that then help you go toward your goals. So when we're doing trauma work, yes, we want to help symptom reduction, but so much more. We want people to learn how to restore alignment, to restore their internal relational grid for how they function. We want them to learn how to be in relationship with others without unconsciously hoping the pastor, the spouse, the friend, the family are going to meet the emotional needs today. But instead, seeing today as ice cream. People today are fantastic, but they're not our meat and potatoes. We want to heal the relationship wounds inside so that we're satisfied. We're relationally strong and fortified, which is a lifestyle, even for me. I'll spend time going, huh, I feel a little funky. Why am I really craving chocolate and caffeine today? Why am I wanting to just veg out and and feel nothing, right? Why am I avoiding my pain signals? then it just lets me know I probably need to schedule some time to journal, to do an internal board meeting, and to relationally engage with those parts of me. Sometimes that's just me and Jesus alone. And sometimes he says, you know, invite other people into that. So in full transparency, I have my own appointments for myself as a lifestyle. I go regularly and get my own appointments because sometimes we really need a relational healing for a relational wound. There's no shame in that. And if anything, kind of like a hairdresser going and getting their hair done, we need to be therapists that make sure we're regularly ministering to our own soul so that when the soul is at peace, we can live from our spirit man as the leader, our spirit can minister to our soul, and then the fruit of the spirit translates into our body. And that's when you experience love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control without striving, without having to muster it up and work at it. And that's what we want to do for our clients. 
that they may have had trauma. You and I may have had trauma, but we are far beyond living there. We're in a post-traumatic growth season of recognizing we get upgrades. When we work on these things, we get double for our trouble and we can come with a posture of hope faith and confidence because we know that when we invite God to come minister to these parts of our soul, of our client's soul, even if they don't know that you're a Christian and that's okay, we don't have to impose our faith, but you know, you're interceding for them. You're bringing God's presence through your work with that person. Now we can restore alignment and we can help the inner world become cohesive the way it was intended at creation. There's so much more that I can talk about, but for the sake of time, I'm going to wrap up here. I love this conference. I love you as a mental health provider. Thank you so much for the work you do. I want you to know as a clinical psychologist that we are better together, that when we work together as different mental health providers along the spectrum of what your specialty and mine may be, that we really can make a huge difference to the world around us. I honor you and recognize you. I'd love to connect. Feel free to get on our newsletter on drshannoncrawford.com. Stay in touch. Shannon is spelled differently, S-H-A-N-N-A-N. I have e-learning courses. We have more resources that we'll be rolling out constantly. So the newsletter is a quick and easy way to stay in touch. And then we have a podcast, Unlock You, like university, because I've been an adjunct professor. Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. And we'll have many more resources, including some groups with Restoring Self-Cohesion. Thank you for the work you do. I honor you and I hope to connect with you. And I hope this blesses your work and your own personal life. Thanks, guys. I'm Dr. Shannon Crawford from Crawford Clinics. Bye-bye. Thank you for investing in yourself, your family, and your team. We are honored to serve you and your vision.